So if you can go to Colossians chapter uh, 2, verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. If you don't have it, we'll have it here on the screens for you. Um, but also, if you want to bookmark Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. So Colossians 2, 6, and Romans 12, 11. And I'll read here in the NIV translation. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Verse 7, I'm going to read Peter one more time. It says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Now go to Romans 12, verse 11. If you don't have it, we have it on the screen here. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That's pretty good. We can get a t-shirt, right? Maybe they tap that on there. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. If you look at the word zeal, zeal is great energy. It's, it's enthusiasm in pursuit of something. It says, never lack your passion, your energy, your enthusiasm, your, for all of that for God. Now, now, fervor then says it's an actual intense feeling. It's, it's a passionate feeling. So here we're reading where Paul is telling us, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, what's the opposite of fervor, class? Nobody knows. Look it up right now because I need to look it up. I'm just kidding. It is apathy. Apathy. I don't know if last week when you were here and, and God moved in such a way that he took over really the service and, and the Holy Spirit just began to move. We didn't even really get to to bring a servant. Pastor Carlos was prepared to preach that day. It was a day for me to rest, and God said no. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, but th there was a moment that Pastor Carlos prayed specifically for apathy, and there was a moment where we asked if there was people in the room that have not felt the touch of God. You felt far away. You feel like you don't even feel any passion for things anymore. We made a specific prayer, and the altar completely filled up. It's amazing how quick we're able to forget of the things of God, uh, especially if we are rooted in Him and have faith. But it's so quick how we allow distractions or life, things that happen within us or, or outside of us where we forget about the things of God. And what happens is we become numb. And to become numb is to be deprived of physical sensation or, or the ability to move. It's like, it's like the moment that we just experienced now, we had some people that were already in the front because they came. They, they're giving reverence to God. They're here to worship Him. They're not really here for themselves. They're just saying, God, you know, I'm here for you. I'm lifting you up no matter what's happening around me. But there's some of us that we feel numb to the move of God. We feel numb to His voice. And, and we feel distant. We feel, in essence, disconnected. And, and so we continue to arrive. We continue to show up or some have even stopped maybe you're watching online you're like I can't even step foot in the church anymore or something happened to you that has called you to become apathetic to the move of God and there's nothing more dangerous than a believer that's inside of church but feels alone there's nothing more dangerous to be inside of a church and be a believer and feel that you don't feel God or hear God or be a part of what God is doing vividly around us why because then all of a sudden we start going off of our what feelings 
and our emotions, and we end up stepping out and walking away from what God has asked us to do, right? And so we're lacking or, or we're, we're, we have a deficiency in our emotion, our feeling. We become indifferent to the move of God, and so we feel together as a, as a church family and, our, and as the pastors to, to bring a series for the next three weeks specifically talking about this. And if you're taking notes, write down the title of our series for this month, which is called Disconnected, the State of Apathy. And in this series, we're going to focus on spiritual apathy and how it's continued to spread amongst believers over the years and the dangers of it and how to overcome it. See, spiritual apathy is the absence or suppression of passion, emotion, or excitement. It's a lack of interest or you know, concern for things that others find moving or exciting. It's, it's familiarity, it's boredom, it's mediocrity, it's, it's disconnection. And something that I've learned in my walk with God is that God allows at times the path to be difficult because he intends on refining us and preparing us for our place of promise. And he is intent on extracting from us that which our enemy would love to leverage against us. And the problem is when we give up in the process and stop seeking his presence through it, we can die. We could die. So let's get right into it. Let's pray first. Father, we just thank you once again for allowing us to be here. We thank you, Lord. At least we have a roof over us with shade. But Lord, we just ask you in Jesus' name that the words that are spoken in these next few moments, Lord, Lord, can fall in, in, inside of people's hearts, Lord, that it could spread within their mind, Father, to be able to experience and know you. Lord, today we declare that you receive all the honor and all the glory, Lord, that it be you speaking, Lord Jesus, not me, Lord, that it be about your truth and not my opinion, Father, but overall that you are exalted and that your kingdom reigns in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are serious. Lord, that you give the strength to our air conditioning units like you gave David against Goliath. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let's go again once to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And I want to read a story there that's leading in as an introduction to this message. But Acts chapter 3 and uh, verse 1 says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Come on, everybody say walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's go to chapter 4 and just two more verses. Verse 13 and 14. And it says in verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now, 
Beautiful story, right, where you see a miracle happen right before our eyes of a man that for 40 years was being brought to the, the temple gate right before going into the temple to sit there and, and naturally beg from all the people that were walking in. The most people that were walking in during that time were people that were teachers of the law. There were people that were just like you and me walking into a church. So what a perfect place to be, to be in a place where compassionate people should be giving. Oh, he, he had it all. He was like, put me right here because there's Christians around. I should, you know, as soon as you wait, help me. Somebody says, oh, oh God, I got compassion. Here you go. Get, get what you need, right? He had a, the perfect place. So here comes Peter and John. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been like on the go? Like, like you're, you're rushing somewhere. You're late. It's your fault. But you got to be somewhere, right? You're on your way. Then all of a sudden you see somebody and they stop you and want to have a whole full conversation about what's happened in their lives the last 10 years. Happens to me at Walmart all the time. And I remember on occasion, it was funny, I, I pulled up to, to, to Starbucks one time, Lord, forgive me. I pulled up, and I remember I pulled up, and I was like, yeah, and I'm like on the go. I was like, I could squeeze in two minutes to get a couple shots of espresso. I could squeeze. I went in there, I pulled in, and as I'm talking, the lady who's helping, she goes, Pastor Andres? And I was like, hey, hey. I don't know who you are, but God bless you. Like, I, I didn't recognize her. She was like, oh, wow. I just want to let you know. When she did one of these on the counter, I just want to let you know. I was like, can you pass me the coffee first? And I was like, as, and she kept going, and she started explaining, and it was beautiful what she was sharing in the moment. And I was like, man, I really got to go, but how do, I, how do I just have respect in the moment? I said, can you just now make it iced? Right, they make the, the coffee ice. And I remember she was just talking, and I went and then I had to run and stop at Walmart because a lot of times we got to stop at Walmart for no reason, right? We just got to go. And I walked in, and, and this and that, I'm going through what I have to go through. And then someone, hey, Pastor Andres, and they see me, hey, what's up? I was going, hey, man, I, let me share you with you a testimony. I was like, okay. <laughs> right? And you have to be respectful, right? Uh, naturally, just because of who we are, we're just like, Lord, right? I, I wish I could just, like, back in the days, like, look, I ain't got time, all right? email me. You know what I'm saying? But no, no. I'm sitting there listening, giving that moment because God was doing something in that person's life. They wanted to share in that moment. I'm walking out. I'm about to pay somebody else. Hey, Pastor. it all happened in the same day. Now I'm late. I'm really late to where I got to go. And here's Peter and here's John on their way to the temple courts at three o'clock in the afternoon. Those who know three o'clock, la mejor hora, right? All of a sudden walk in and they see this lame man begging, stops him on the tracks and he's asking them for something. And, he, and he's, he's crippled from birth. He was carried to the temple gate to beg those going, and he stops them. And I asked myself, why did Peter command healing rather than pray for it? Right, because naturally, we've, have you been in a situation as a believer, I'm saying, where someone's going through something, and I love it. We can say, man, I'll be praying for you, but you really don't pray. But in the moment that you're hearing what's happening, you know what, let's stop and pray right now. Have you done that? That we're in the middle of Walmart. It doesn't matter where we need to be. If the person is sharing something and say, you know what? I believe that God can meet you right here, right where we're at right now. Give me your hand. Let's pray right now. And a lot of us, that's what we do. We'll either command healing, right, rather than what it is that he's actually asking for. And, and so I thought to myself, why did Peter command healing rather than pray for it? He could have said, God, right now, this man that he's been, we don't know how long he's been here, but no, he commanded it. Peter expected God to heal this man. But he didn't command God to do it. He did, however, tell the man how he should respond to God's miracle. Because this man had been crippled all his life. 
Peter told him what was necessary to make healing a reality for him. Then Peter helped him to his feet. The man would never have received God's healing if he had not responded in faith. I mean, that, that's a story in itself right there for somebody in this room. We may be waiting for somebody when God is saying, when you respond by faith, when you believe that it can be done. We preached weeks ago where there's a difference with believing and there's a difference with knowing. When you believe by faith, you're saying, God, I know that you're going to do it. I, I believe that you're going to do it. We're going to see it come to pass. When you know by faith, you're saying it is already done. God, you're doing it. It's in the midst. I already have it. I, I know that it's going to happen. He says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. See, later in Acts 4, Peter and John are being challenged by the Sadducees after they healed the crippled man. And they asked, by what power or what name did you do this? And they got upset for them using the name of Jesus. See, I believe that's where we are today as a society, as a nation, as a world. Removing the name of Jesus Christ out of everything. If I name my kid Jesus, it might offend somebody. That's where we're at today. I, there was a story that happened in 2015 in a small town in Kansas with a population roughly 9,200 people. They went through a major legal issue that ended up becoming national news where a civil liber liberties group demanded to have a painted portrait of Jesus Christ removed from a middle school which had hung in the school since at least the 1950s. And a local community member had complained to the organization and sought its help in seeking removal of the portrait. The school district ended up giving in and had it removed trying to find the original owners. The town was predominantly Christian, but it took just one to have something that may be insignificant in the moment but in the long run began a steamroll in almost every state of our country to remove Jesus. See, some of us, we may say, I don't watch the news. I don't, I don't like reading all those blogs and things like that. That's fine. You, you, probably, you should be the most peaceful person on earth. Right? A lot of times those who don't are not. But the reality is, is you're thinking to yourself, man, there's so much that's happening around us that it can overwhelm us, especially if it's attacking our faith especially if it's what I believe in wholeheartedly with all that I am. And so I thought to myself as, as I listened to this, because that's where we're at today, here is now back in the day the Sadducees asked, by what power or what name did you do this? And the only reason, I, I need you to hear this. You might need to write this down. The only reason we don't have revival is because we are living or we are willing to live without it. Right, write that out. The only reason we don't have revival is because we are willing to live without it. That's where we're at today. So Jesus is being removed. There's a lot of things that are now making me question my faith. I start thinking about all the stuff that I grew up in and start going, I don't know if that should be real. I don't, I don't feel, I need more evidence. I need more proof. I need certain things. And now all of a sudden I start becoming apathetic to the things of God because I start questioning things. 
And I start, I start moving towards this direction and going, God, I, I really, I don't, I don't know, I don't feel you, I don't hear you. And then I start telling myself that it's not important to be in community, so, you know, I'll just show up every other month to church, it's okay. And I start telling myself that, that I could do this on my own, I don't need anything beyond what I can do. I can do it within my own strength, I could do it with my own intellect, I could, and, and so I don't need those things. And so that's where we're at today, and the sad thing is that it's happening within our church. When I say our church, it may not be specific to revive. I'm talking about the global church, the local, the, the church. The pandemic was something that was able to expose people that truly were for God and not for God. Well, there was people that were so dependent in community that the moment community got removed, they didn't know what to do with themselves. And I remember in 2020, at 2019, the end of 2019, I had, I had acknowledged and, and put out a, a blog post of, 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 of 2019 having those last few months, one of the most where I experienced for the first time in my life what depression was actually is. Like, like I experienced it in my life, and I was like, Lord, why do I feel this way? I didn't want to, I was up preaching and really had like no desire or passion, and God would move, and God would do certain things, and I'm just like, man, Lord, why, why don't I feel this? And I started feeling that way in 2019. I remember God delivered me from it when I stepped out in faith and said, God, I need you to heal me from this. I need you to remove me from this. So when 2020 came, I came with such a passion, such an energy saying, Lord, I know what you took me from. I know what you're capable of doing. God, I'm ready for this year. And then 2020 happened. And so I asked God in that moment, I said, Lord, utilize this time, and I want to utilize this time to seek you more. I, I want to I be hungry for your presence. I, I want to know you more. I, I don't want to just be dependent in community in order to fill you. I want to be dependent on you so I could fill you. And that's how a lot of us are. We arrive in a place like this so that we can be motivated, and that's great. We're so grateful that you're here. But what happens when you go home? What happens when you're by yourself, when you're in the car, when situations happen, the car messes up, all of a sudden something messes up at home, your AC messes up at the house, we're having to deal with all these issues, and, and, and in those moments, a lot of times we feel further from God, or we question, God, why would you allow this to happen, and, and we start thinking to ourselves, and so further and further and further we become from the things that God wants us to do, and sadly, as believers, we become spiritually apathetic. So glad you're listening to our podcast. We're believing it'll bless your life. And our desire is to impact more souls with the gospel of Christ. If you want to join this mission and want to give today, we will be so grateful. And you can do so by visiting our website at www.revivecoline.com or text GIVE to 844-462-9071. Now let's get back to the message. Whatever. Start believing certain things. Like if I don't even go, nobody's going to miss me anyways. They don't even need me. It's okay. And they ask, by what name did you do this? See, where there is a level of hunger in your personal life, because hungry people are people that change the world. Is there any hungry people in the room today? Some of y'all said physically, amen, yes. But is there anybody that's hungry, that you're hungering for the things of God? That, that you're, there's something that you're like, I need something different this year. See, because where this nation is going, where this world is going, if you're not hungry for the things of God, oh my God, when it comes down, 
When all the stuff that, that arrives, when the persecution stops in front of our door, will you be a hungry person or will you stay quiet? Because hungry people open their mouths. And when they open their mouths, they worship a God that they don't physically see. Hungry people will say, I'm here, Lord. I worship you, Lord, no matter what's happening around me, Lord. I need your presence. Hunger determines the level at which you're fed, what you're given. Hunger determines the level of which you eat, what you receive. Hunger determines the level at which you grow and how you mature. If you are not hungry, it's because you're already full of something. And so we come to places like this and we say, Lord, change me. But we go back home and we binge watch everything that's on TV. And we come to a place like this and say, Lord, heal me. But then we go back home and gossip with the people around us. And God is saying, I need true reverence of faith. People that believe in me, that will stand firm no matter what's happening around. Yes, I'm not saying it's done wrong to watch. I love watching. I just caught up yesterday on some of my shows. But what I'm physically saying is, am I taking the time to give God praise? Am I taking the time to seek after him? Am I hungry for the things of God or do I want to remain in the same state? If you look at your life for the last five years and nothing's changed, then you're full of something. It's something that you got to release and say, God, I will no longer be the same. Let these remaining five months of this year transform my life, impact everything about me, that when people see me, they know it's not me. It was God that changed me. It was God that saved me. It was God that delivered me and lifted me out of a pit. That's why I give God worship. That's why I give God praise, because if it wasn't for him, I know where I would be. I know what my energy would be focused on, but when I focus on God, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much it doesn't make sense, no matter what's trying to take away the name of Jesus, it's inside of me. So I speak it out. I yell it out. I let people know about what he's done. It's time to start standing up for your faith. It's time to start standing up for what we believe in. No longer being afraid in me and saying, what will they think of me? No greater is he that is within me than he that is in this world. I will worship him. I will lift him up. I will be unapologetic for what God has done in my life. There's a difference. Hungry people open their mouths. But you're full of something, you close it to moments like this. What are you full of? Some of y'all went straight to that word. What are you full of? What's taking priority in your life other than the things of God? So seek me first and the kingdom of God, his righteousness, then all other things will be added to you. He sees what you want. He sees what you desires. He knows what's best for you. So what he says, it's a simple recipe. Seek me, I'll give you what you need. Seek me, I will fulfill your desires. Seek me and I will round out things that will not affect you, but will hold you and make things all good. Some may take that saying like, yeah, Lord, you're going to give me that car. No, I'm not talking about just that. Man, what happened to having reverence Respect for the things of God, for his house, for his kingdom. We take it so lightly now. Just, you know, I'm sleeping in today. I ain't even going to church. Well, sometimes church is the place to be. See, the sad thing that happens is that a lot of us, we've been hurt 
by church. And we say it's been church hurt, but the reality was a person in a church that hurts you. But see, this is what happens. What happens, I was talking to my dad about this, is that a lot of us who have been church hurt, you have no idea how much you're hurting the church when you talk about the very things that one person may have done to you. So now people look at it saying, I don't even want to step into a church because of what happened to you. And God is saying, that's not what I called the church to be. This is a hospital and hospital bring in perfect people and imperfect people walk in they need God just like you and I so we share about it and we say I've been hurt by church that's why I don't step foot in there they're a bunch of hypocrites because I'm sharing my story God is saying it's time for you to heal because the church is here and the church will stay the church will be here after you leave the church will be here after you die the church will continue to be alive and well because God's hand is on it he said, on this rock, he told Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to come against it. So it's time to heal. I've been hurt by church. Been hurt by systems in church. My God, I probably hurt somebody in church and caused somebody to rumble saying, oh my God. See, there's responsibilities that God gives us. It's a whole nother level when I talk about leadership in church. I wish some of y'all could walk in my shoes. Some would die. Some may do it better. See, when there's something that bothers you, could it be that you have an anointing for it to change it? Could it be that because it bothers you, God has anointed you for you to do something with whatever is bothering you? To be like, Lord, it can't, it can't stay like that. I, all right, this is what, I'm going to go pray. Lord, Father, in the name of Jesus, I don't know why. This, this is, it's affected me. This is something that if those who know me personally, they know that I'm very particular about how I want certain things to go. And sometimes I have to release myself to God and say, Lord, God, just you, your will. But Lord, I want to be responsible for what you've placed on my hands. And so because I'm responsible, there may be some checks and balances that'll make people feel uncomfortable. But the reality is, is when I'm responsible for something that I'm understanding that when we do things well and with excellence, it can impact the kingdom of God and expand to even more than what I could do. So, so we say, Lord, Lord, I, I want to be responsible with what I have. See, the name of Jesus is the expression of everything he has done and everything he is and lives to do as our mediator. What does it mean to do a thing in the name of another? See, because here's a man that for 40 years was being brought since birth. Since birth, 40 years. 40 years. I turned 40 this year. I'm supposed to be mature at 40. Right, Lewis? I believe we're in Navy SEAL training level 78 now by 40. 40 years being dependent on somebody to drag them and put them in front of a thing. Good luck. You would think by that age, there's already a level of maturity to know right from wrong. There should already be a level of maturity where maybe I have a family or I'm seeking a family. It's okay if you don't at 40. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking you. What I'm saying is there should be because you've lived a life. 
And so 40 years, God does a miracle. The man's walking. Who knows how long that temple was there for people to see that he was actually there. Maybe some people didn't even notice him. They're like, who is that? He's that guy that's been in the front of the gate forever. And so all of a sudden this happens. And the first thing the Sadducees say, the religious teachers say, they go, in what name did you do this? And you know what's amazing is something that, that really hit me when, when we went to youth camp. There was a boy that was part of our group that for three years he was experiencing pain in his back. And he, he came out saying, man, I've been with three years pain in my back. And today in the middle of service, I felt like God healed me. And I was jumping and I was screaming and this and that. And hearing something like that should like put something inside of you. Be like, wow, God, you're still in the business of doing miracles. Like it should boost my faith. It should be like, Lord, if you did it for that young boy, you can do it for me. There's something that should happen. And so God starts doing miracles. God starts doing healings. God starts doing things, and the church sits back like this. We become so apathetic to the move of God that we don't even celebrate it anymore. We're just... There's people in this room that God's healed from cancer. There's people in this room that God's healed from near death. There's people in this room that God has restored marriages, has brought children back to life. If anything, the moment I hear a testimony of what God has done, I should be up on my feet. I should be giving God thanks, saying, Lord, you're able to still do a miracle. But just like Easter, we've gotten so used to seeing Jesus on the cross and it does not even do anything for us. We're like, all right, it's Easter. Here we go, Easter weekend. He died, yay. AD is be like, yay, it's zombie weekend. You're like, what? We're celebrating a man coming back to life. He's a zombie. And we start, we become apathetic. You have no idea. You as a believer in the house of God, love God, serve God, and you can still be spiritually apathetic. We, we can show it. We can arrive here, and I can let you know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's my fruit that will speak for me when I step outside. We become spiritually apathetic. See, John chapter 14, verse 13 to 14, it says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for me anything in my name, and I will do it. What does it mean to do a thing in the name of another? It is to come with his power and authority as his representative and substitute. No one would give another the free use of his name without first being assured his honor and his interests were as safe with another as with himself. Jesus solemnly gives to all his general and unlimited power to use his name at all times for everything they desire. That's why the most practical thing is saying, Lord, that you do something with that air conditioning unit during this time. It is, it is like going, it's trying. The most practical thing, some of you have asked, Lord, just let it, come on, come on, car, get it. Get me to my destiny. Who's done that before? I've done it. You're like, come on, car. I don't, I don't have money for gas or whatever. Maybe the Lord extend it right now in Jesus' name. We use it for the practical, right? But how about the spiritual? We start feeling something because you, you notice your son or your daughter are starting to talk a certain way. They're starting to believe a certain way. Could I in that moment say, in Jesus' name, I take hold right now every thought, every label, anything 
that is preventing my children from knowing who you are. He says, in my name. See, he gave it to us. And it's so beautiful to know that we have that. But we gotta be smart, because he says it's by his interest. When he says in Romans 8, 28, that he works things all out for, for your good, meaning good things, bad things, he can work it out for your good. But the key, I've said it time and time again, is for those that love him. Meaning that when I have a relationship, God will work things out for my good. I can't procrastinate in my life and not study and do certain things and then ask God for help. I can't, I can't ask for someone that's pure and say, Lord, send me someone that's pure and send me the right one when I'm jumping from relationship to relationship and sleeping around. I can't, I can't do that. I can't treat no one with respect and, and then ask God to kill somebody for disrespecting me. We tend to only use it when we need something. We forget what Jesus tells us, the verse right before, that very truly I tell you, he says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do it even greater things than these. Can I tell you this morning or this afternoon that we are not acting in the name of someone who is absent. Jesus himself is with the Father. When we pray to the Father, it must be in Jesus' name. The name represents the person. The name and the spirit of Jesus are one. To ask in his name is to ask in full union of interest, life, and love with himself as one who lives in and for him. But even knowing that, why don't I care? I looked at this story with Peter and John and such a beautiful miracle that happened that caused people to see what was going on. And it was just wonderful to know that right after that, Peter was able to preach and 5,000 people came to know God and there were still questions. There was still two sides of this. There was, there was a side of people that were believing and knowing that, that God did a wonderful miracle. And there was the other side of people questioning and being critical of, is this really you, Lord? But why don't I care? See, one of the most frustrating parts of my life is when I'm not as passionate about God as I should be. I imagine many Christians feel similar, but there's somehow for whom this feeling goes deep and lasts long. Some of us may find ourselves in the midst of a long stretch of feeling fairly indifferent about the things of God. We know that Bible reading, prayer, church involvement, missions, evangelism, and many other means of grace should capture our hearts but we just can't seem to get excited about them. We become spiritually apathetic, and while we may be aware of our apathy, we often find ourselves feeling helpless to pull ourselves out of it. It's one thing to diagnose a disease, but quite another to heal it. The scripture is clear that we have a role to play in overcoming apathy. For example, we read at the beginning, Paul exhorting, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. See, the assumption here is that zeal, the antithesis of apathy, can be cultivated. Next week, I want to go more into how do we find healing from crippling indifference. But I feel that God's spoken today and God has shared with us for us to recognize that sometimes all that we need to start is faith. 
you may be asking for something or you may be seeking for something like this man that was crippled since birth. You just need a faith. And something that I'll, I'll put it to the end because it's hot. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 18, he says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak. It says, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. And he says in verse 20, something that was powerful. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What he's saying is, I'm sorry, but I can't unsee what, what I saw God do. I, I can't unsee the healings that I was physically able to see with my eyes. I can't unhear all the things that he commanded and said and it began to happen. I, I can't. You can take this away from me. You can take my life, but I can't stop talking about what I've seen and heard. That, that's a level right there of saying, you know what? Never forget what God has brought you through. Never forget what God has healed you from. Never forget what God has saved you from. Because I cannot unsee the things that I've seen with my eyes, so I have to talk about it. There's a level of faith that we have to do that God will save us from because Peter extended his hand and lifted him up. God is going to be there. He's going to be there to lift you up, and he just asks you to have a mustard-sized seed of faith to say, could it be that I could be healed? He says, I may not have the answer to why that person hurts you. I may not have the answer to why that happened to you in your life. I may not have the way or the strategy for you to overcome whatever it is that you're going through, but what I do have is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he says, get up and walk. That's all we need to the start of our healing, to the start of seeing for who he is, is just faith in a God that saves. It's Jesus. So right where you're at, just bow your head, close your eyes. Maybe you think to yourself, man, do I got a little apathy myself? See, because apathy, we're talking about spiritual apathy, but some of y'all are, are sitting in a marriage and you're apathetic with each other. Some of y'all are apathetic with your children, you're apathetic with your job. Something my dad said earlier this morning is how many people have gone to a job and you're like, oh, I don't even want to be here. You may not look, like, look at it as an opportunity anymore. You look at it as a crutch. You're like, here I go. I got to have to do this. But man, even worse, when you're apathetic with the things of God, say, Lord, each one of you right now at the sound of my voice has a gift, has, has talents that can accomplish so much more than what I could do. A unique divine fingerprint is yours. And God's been tugging at your heart for a long time saying it's time. It's time to forgive. It's time to let go. It's time to step out. 
It's time to stand up. It's time to serve me wholeheartedly. It's time to serve in, in, in his community. It's time to serve in the church. It's time to speak out about what God's done in your life. It's time. Could it be that I haven't felt him in a long time? Could it be that I hurt so much that though healing is right in front of me, at just a hand's grasp, it's amazing how such a divine moment between the beggar, the lame, crippled man, and Peter and John. Who knows who else he tried to stop right before that? But God aligned that moment right there. And I truly believe in Jesus' name that he can align this moment right now for your healing, for your deliverance, for your breakthrough, that God could do it right now for you the way he did it for that crippled man. And as we go in the next couple weeks of how do we overcome apathy, let's start now by saying, Lord, I dedicate my life to you. I give you everything, Lord. Even when I can't trace you, Lord, trace you, Lord, I'm deciding to trust you. Even when I can't feel you, Lord, I'm deciding to believe in you. Even though I can't see you, Lord, I'm going to have faith that you have everything in store and you're going to work it all for my good. It takes faith. So, Father, as we close this out in Jesus' name, I'm going to ask you to touch each heart that's in the room.